Well, good morning, Faith Family. How's everyone today? Doing okay? Great. So uh, we're kind of doing a little uh, impromptu service because Pastor Greg is uh, he's going to be at home uh, for a little bit. Uh, he's doing fine. So just so everyone knows, um, if you'll join with me today, our call of worship is from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, it's chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. I should have a page in your pew Bible, but I do not. Sorry. I'm using my own. It's uh, 491. It's 491, according to David. Thank you. It reads, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, then the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word from the book of Isaiah. Now, if you'll join with us in singing and stand as you're able uh, for the carol, it's in your hymn book, it's number 179, Angels from the Realms of Glory. Okay, everybody, we're... Good job. Hey. Look at that. We did it. Well, we are, we are so excited, and you may be seated. We are uh, so excited uh, to have you all here. Uh, we're excited about this, this season, um, and we all know the reason for this season is Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that we've ever received. So let's thank God right now for this very season that we're in. 
Lord, thank you so much for this, this wonderful and beautiful season where we're reminded that you sent your son down to earth. You knew that we couldn't pay the price for our own sins. So you sent your son to live with us, to be with us, to die for us. We thank you for the greatest gift that we've ever received and help us to focus on that this holiday season. The good or bad, we have received the greatest gift that we will ever receive. Eternal life with you, Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, you may uh, greet each other with a distant level of love. Just wave. Go ahead. That was kind of tame, guys. I was expecting more. That's all right. That's fine. It's early. Well, so as far as for announcements today, um, our uh, mission committee is uh, collecting, let's see, we're collecting donations um, for uh, financial donations specifically uh, to go to some of our partners around the world. Um, we're going to, um, sorry, let me make sure. Uh, Demike in uh, Yerevan, Ethiopia, um, and then we'll also be helping uh, Pastor uh, Santiago uh, down in Mexico. Uh, AB's been doing some great work down there with uh, with Pastor Santiago, and uh, we're we're just really blessed uh, by both both of these ministries and then the other ministries we have around the world. So, if you're able to financially donate to this, uh, this will go to to helping them uh, to to give food and blessings. Uh, to the congregations uh, that are in the in those areas. So last week, um, let me take this with me. Last week we we lit our first candle. Does anybody remember what this one was? You didn't know there'd be a test, but yes, prophet. Very good. So we lit the prophet candle. We talked about the prophet Isaiah this week. We will light another candle. Let me make sure I have the light here. Yes. So we'll light another candle. This candle represents the angels. And we see throughout the Bible that angels visit. And they don't typically visit the, the most of these. They visit who? The least of these. We see angels appear to a young woman, Mary, and they tell her that she's going to have a child which is almost unbelievable. Mary's not married, and she has to go and explain this to Joseph. The angel says, do not worry, do not fear. That's a common theme when angels appear. Do not fear, because they know if we see an angel, we're going to be a little freaked out. So, but they say, do not fear, do not worry. We also see an angel appear to John's father, right? He appears to John's father, do not fear foretells John's birth. So now we have angels foretelling the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus Christ, what is coming, just as the prophets had said. And then finally, we see the angels, a choir of angels that appears to the shepherds, the least of these, the lowest in society. But a host of angels appears to them to proclaim, to announce, to celebrate the birth of of our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. So today, we light that candle. Bob told me how to do this, and then, oh, you have to squeeze it. There. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this, this wonderful church, this great congregation. Thank you that uh, we, we, although in a time of, of what seems like great turmoil, time that seems like major division in our country, a time that seems like there's no hope with this virus, with this staying home, with not seeing family as we're used to doing. But Lord, we know that in these times, you are still working. You are still good, even when times are bad. Lord, show us the light at the end of the tunnel. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you the only one that can carry us through this. Help us to learn to have thankful hearts for all that we do have. Help us to cherish those things that we miss right now, the family gatherings, the getting together in public, going out, being in large groups. Help us to treasure those things so that we don't take them for granted when this is over. Help us to treasure each and every life, Lord. We thank you for your, your son, your wonderful gift. We thank you for a beautiful church, our wonderful congregation. We thank you for all of those around the world that are doing your great work. All of our missionaries, all of our government officials, government officials, Lord, be with them. Help them to make the best decisions for the people that they serve, Lord. And finally, Lord, we end by saying the prayer that your very Son, Jesus Christ, taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, now I'm going to uh, pass it over to the, the man, the myth, the legend, Pastor Dave Ruff. I appreciate that, John. Thanks for filling in here. Um, We'll uh, not have the uh, scripture lesson because it's uh, Pastor Greg was prepared, but uh, as many of you know, he came in contact with somebody who tested positive. So, uh, for protection's sake, he's he's quarantined himself and uh, will be tested tomorrow. So, uh, and so we've got a new a new plan here for today. Uh, this is Becoming Regular. I'm Pastor David Ruff, and I uh, was a pastor at Hope Presbyterian Church for many years. Uh, after many years of ministry, retired not too long ago. And so I've been coming to faith quite regularly here, and I've been uh, preaching in the contemporary service the past couple of weeks. And so it's good to be with you one more time again. There you go, John. Thank you. 
Well, let's just pray, and then uh, we'll get into our material for today. Well, Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful day, and it's the day that you have made. And we pray you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, that which we would not ordinarily be able to see or hear. So we thank you for this day, for our health, and for just being able to be here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, when our three children were growing up, I did this thing called discipleship hour, um, where I would attempt, and I underlined the word attempt, to help our kids grow in their walk with Christ. And we do it every Sunday night. Um, my ace in the hole was that in order to get them there to discipleship hour, you know, I would come up with whatever I could, candy, popcorn, suckers, whatever it took to get them there. And now it sounds easy enough, but I tell you, it is hard. It is really hard to take certain aspects of the Christian life and get it simple enough, boil it down enough for a four-year-old to be able to understand. But we would always work on scripture memory. I'm a big believer in scripture memory. And there was one verse that I particularly wanted them to get, and it was Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. I wanted that one riveted in their head. In fact, in my funeral uh, description, I am going to have our, our kids quote, from memory, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So that's how important it is to me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. It's just one of those foundational verses we need to know. But I want you to think of this verse in, in a little bit different way uh, this morning. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart and acknowledge him in all your ways is what I would call plan A. Plan B is when we lean upon our own understanding. Now, the first thing we need to realize is that choosing plan A in our lives is determined by the strength of our personal conviction that God's ways is always the right way. However, the strength of plan B, leaning on our own understanding, is determined, now listen, by the amount of time and energy we invest in entertaining thoughts and desires that are contrary to God's word. Plan A. For example, you may know that God's way is best. You may intend to walk 100% uh, by faith. But the moment you begin to entertain thoughts or ideas that are contrary to plan A, you have established plan B as an escape route in case plan A should fail. So, for example... God's plan, plan A, is that marriage is to be a monogamous and a lifetime arrangement, right? But suppose a Christian wife begins to reason, you know, I'm not sure this marriage is going to work out. So just in case, I'd better get a job to secure my future. You see, the moment she makes even a partial commitment to plan B, she cannot help but take something away from her wholehearted commitment to plan A. The more she thinks about plan B and takes steps towards it, the less committed to plan A she will become. Now, I don't have a plan B uh, for my marriage. It just 
doesn't exist, and I'm committed to Mary Ann for my whole life, and I refuse to entertain any thoughts that weaken that commitment to her, which is plan A. Such thoughts are, are actually dangerous because they eat away at God's plan for 100% commitment in a marriage. Now, this, I'm just using that as an example because there are many other areas of potential compromise in our lives as well. Uh, there is a really great, uh, how many of you know that Kathy cartoon character? Uh, we've probably all read, but uh, a really great cartoon strip which shows what happens when we entertain plan B thoughts and how they can literally suck us into temptation and away from plan A, even though plan A is really our goal. Okay, but in this cartoon strip, Kathy is struggling with her diet. So in the first frame, Kathy says, I will drive, but I won't go near the grocery store. Frame two, she says, I will drive by the grocery store, but I won't walk down the aisle where the Halloween candy is on sale. Then in frame four, she says, I will look at the candy, but not pick it up. Frame five, I will pick it up, but I won't buy it. Frame six, I will, I will buy it, but I won't open it. Frame seven, she says, I will open it, but I will not smell it. Frame eight, I might smell it, but I won't taste it. Then frame nine, she says, I will taste it, but not eat it. Frame 10, it shows her in a flurry. Eat, 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 eat. You see, the more time and energy and thoughts we, in a sense, invest in plan B, the less commitment we will have to seek God's plan, plan A. Here it is. Plan B thoughts break down plan A commitment. Simple. Plan B thoughts break down plan A commitment. But how do we resist plan B thoughts? I mean, these plan B desires, plan B temptations that draw us away from, from plan A commitment. How do we resist those? Well, it's interesting. Let me, let me share with you a theory that I don't normally read in most of the Christian books I've read. But to resist these dire desires and passions, whether we're talking about um, overdependence on things that bring us security, or irresistible urges to overeat, or uh, to st stop drinking, or drinking not as much, or stop lusting, or to stop buying, or whatever it might be. We tend to think that in order, we must first weaken the desires and the passions that we have, right? We try to make them less appealing. We try to draw power from the outside so that we'll be enabled to resist on the inside. And so we try to weaken plan B desires and passions. And like Kathy, we try to make these temptations less desirable. But perhaps, perhaps, maybe, maybe those bad passions or strong are so strong because the good passions are so weak. Maybe the problem isn't too much desire, but rather too little. Too little. Hmm. The core problem with most of us, including the sexaholic, the workaholic, 
or the shopaholic is not that they're too passionate about these quote-unquote bad things, but we are not passionate enough about the good things, the good things. However, you and I will most likely not be able to overcome these addictions and temptations by looking to ways to weaken them. Mm -mm. Not by weakening them. I find that in my own life, the harder I try to resist those plan B thoughts and those plan B desires, the more I'm actually drawn into them. Uh, it's a lot like trying to put a fire out by blowing on it. What happens? It just gets hotter and hotter and hotter. Or it's a lot or like trying to fall asleep. The harder you try to sleep, what happens? The less you sleep. Unco also, uncovering the roots of certain urges in hopes of reducing their intensity also will not, in the long run, help our commitment to plan A. That's a lot of uh, modern psychology would say, is you uncover the roots of those certain urges and that will reduce the intensity. That doesn't work. Rather, something must be released in us that makes us want to resist. Something makes us want to resist. That is what we need. That is what we need. We must become caught up with that which strengthens, okay, our good passions and our good desires. Where godliness becomes more attractive to us, more attractive than the good passions and the good desires. Where godliness becomes more attractive than sin. Where finding God becomes more important than feeling good. Where intimacy with Christ becomes more desirable than plan B. Then, then I believe we will find the strength to resist those plan B passions and desires. Okay, let me give you an example, an illustration. When I was growing up, uh, the nearest and dearest thing to me was not my sister, uh, was not my cat Taffy, was not even my Davy Crockett hat. <laughs> It was my thumb. Yes, my, my thumb. I sucked my thumb. I loved my thumb. Uh, my thumb was my greatest source of security, comfort, and pleasure, all rolled up in one nice, neat little package, my thumb. Now, of course, all sorts of people tried to get me to stop sucking my thumb. They tried every trick in the book. I knew all the tricks in the book, but to no avail. They'd offer me candy, toys, they'd offer me money, yeah, and they'd say stuff like, uh, you know, big boys don't suck their thumbs and stuff like that. Didn't work. My mom even tried putting that really nasty tasting stuff on my thumb to get me to quit. But I'd just lick and spit, lick and spit, lick and spit, lick and spit, and pretty soon I'd be back in business, you know? Uh, my thumb and I were absolutely inseparable. Well, now, I had tried to uh, quit on my own a couple of times, but it was just so impossible. That is, until one day. Until one day. I'll never forget. It wasn't trying by trying to resist. It wasn't by getting bribed. It wasn't by putting that nasty-tasting stuff on my thumb. No, I quit as a result of a greater desire, a greater desire, a greater vision. And what was that desire? What was that vision? 
I wanted to become a major league baseball player in the worst way. You see, I just could not reconcile how I could be a great baseball player and still suck my thumb. I mean, I thought, how ridiculous, how weird would that be? I simply could not reconcile the two images in my mind of being a major league baseball player who still sucked his thumb. I mean, Mickey Mantle, you got to be kidding. He wouldn't suck his thumb. And so it was this vision, this overwhelming desire of wanting to be a great baseball player someday that finally pulled me away from this inner craving I had had all my life. My point is simply this. It is so much more empowering to be going after something good and trying to give up something bad. Much more empowering to be going after something good than trying to give up something bad. <coughs> we are miraculously enabled to let go of plan B only when our desire for plan A is greater than anything else. So the question becomes, right? Well, how do I increase my desire for plan A? And here's what I want you to get today, okay? The only way we can increase our desire for plan A is by increasing our desire and our passion for the planner of plan A. The planner of plan A, Jesus Christ. Only when our desire to know him, to be intimate with him, to be pleasing to him, only then will we be empowered to let go of plan B and totally embrace plan A. I'm a little bit ahead of myself here uh, <clears throat> because for most of us, um, Christ is a little bit in the shadows. He's not our all-consuming passion at all times. Something else, something else shines a little brighter. You know, um, we're often much more passionate about lesser things, more self-oriented pleasures of life. For example, we're more flattered by an invitation to an exclusive dinner party than we are at the opportunity to spend time with God. Or we find more delight in being accepted and respected by certain people than in being accepted by the God of this universe. The loss of respect from friends often hurts more than the loss of fellowship with Christ. And getting better a paying job, a greater job, is more exciting than seeing God work through us in a random act of kindness. Now, I don't know about you all, but when I see these kinds of things in my heart, I sense that something is terribly out of whack. Just out of whack. Well, why is our appetite... And our passion for Christ so much weaker than our appetite for the perks of life. It's like, it's like we're trying to make a meal out of the appetizers of life. And then we wonder, why am I still so hungry? Why, why, why do I still feel so empty? And the answer is that we've chosen the appetizers, plan B, over the main meal, the planner of plan A. Well, here's the second thing I want you to get this morning. And that is, we increase our passion for Christ by realizing, delight, 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 his passion for us. 
We increase our passion for Christ by realizing his passion for us. It, it's really quite simple. You know, one person who really realized the love and passion that Christ had for him was the Apostle John. In several places in Scripture, he describes and self-identifies himself as the disciple whom what Jesus loved. That's how he describes himself over and over in the book of John, in the Gospel of John. In fact, it's how he describes himself, but it's hard to read this and, and then not ask the question, but, well, wait, that, okay. What about the other disciples? Didn't Jesus love the, the other disciples just as much? I mean, I mean, that doesn't ring true, does it? I mean, nor does it line up with the rest of Scripture that says, hey, that, talk, that talks about God's perfect love for everyone, each one of us. So how could he define himself as the one that Jesus loved? Now, the only way, think about this, the only way we can really understand this self-description by John is by understanding that above all the others, John was the one who most realized and most embraced and most took hold of and most treasured the love which Jesus had to give. See, the difference doesn't lie with Christ, but with us. The difference lies not with any preferential love that Jesus gives, but rather with our own willingness and our own desire to embrace and to be possessed by the love that Jesus has to give. His love is the same for all of us. It's just some of us treasure it and embrace it and receive it more abundantly than others. For many of us, it's like we've won the $70 million lotto, but we've only accepted $1 million of it. But not John. Not at all. Not John. He grabbed for all he could possibly get, and he so embraced the love of Christ that he, in fact, defined himself by it. Calling himself, not a teacher, not an apostle, not an evangelist, but rather the one in whom Jesus loved. Pretty interesting, huh? So let me ask you, how do you define yourself? I dare say that if we had won the $70 million lotto, that we would probably become known as the one who won the $70, $70 million lotto. But seriously, how do we define ourselves? How much of God's lotto have you embraced? Have you treasured? You know something? I, I really believe that John's defining moment came when he was in the upper room the night of the Last Supper, where John says in uh, John 13, 23, listen to this, the disciple Jesus loved was reclining next to Jesus. Then it says, he leaned back and put his head upon the chest of Jesus. Interesting. John, in essence, actually lays his head on the heart of God. Wow. <laughs> Have you ever thought of it like that? He actually lays his head on the heart of God. 
You know, and, and, and something else. I, I wonder if it wasn't at the, that moment when John laid his head on Jesus' chest right next to his heart that John realized that he had won the lotto of God's love. Yeah, I wonder if it wasn't in that moment when John drew near enough to hear the very heartbeat of God himself that he discovered who he really was, the one whom Jesus loved. Later after the resurrection, when the disciples are all running as fast as they could to the empty tomb, that John says this, and Peter turned and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them then he says this, the one who had leaned on Jesus' chest at the supper. Hmm. Hmm. You see, I really do believe it was a defining moment for John as he heard the heartbeat of the living God and realized the incredible depth of Jesus' Jesus's love for him. And I think it's true for us as well. Until you and I, Draw near enough to, in a sense, lay our heads upon the chest of Jesus and hear the heartbeat of God. Only then, only then, will we discover what John discovered in that defining moment that we, as much as John or as any other disciple, are the ones that Jesus loves. Well, let me close with a story that Brennan Manning shares in his book, Abba's Child. Uh, Manning says, once a woman asked me to come and pray with her father, who was dying of cancer. When I arrived, the man, uh, I found the man lying in bed with his head propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside his bed. Well, I assumed the old fellow had been informed of my visit and I said, I guess you were expecting me. And the old man looked at me and says, uh, no, no. Uh, who, who are you? Manning says, well, I'm, I'm the new associate at your parish. Uh, uh, when I saw the empty chair, I just figured you knew I was coming and I was going to show up. Oh, the chair, said the bedridden man. Uh, he said, w would you mind closing the door? Well, a little puzzled by that, and I shut the door. He said, the old man said, I, I never told anyone this, not even my daughter. But all my life, I, I've never really known how to pray. At the Sunday Mass, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it, boy, it just went right over my head. And so I abandoned my attempt at prayer, he continued, until one day, about four years ago, my best friend said to me, you know, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. Here's what I suggest. Sit down on a chair and then place an empty chair in front of you. And in faith, in faith, see Jesus on the chair. And look, it's not spooky because Jesus promised I will be with you always then just speak to him and listen in the same way you're doing with me right now. So, Padre, I tried it, and I liked it so much that I do it a couple of hours every day. Oh, but I'm careful, though. If my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, why, she'd have me sent off to the funny farm. 
Well, Manning says, well, I was encouraged and moved by the story that the old guy shared, but I, I told him to continue on with his journey. And then I prayed with him, anointed him with oil, and returned to the rectory. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell me that her daddy had died that afternoon. Manning asked, he said, did he seem to die in peace? She said, yes, yes. But there was something kind of strange. In fact, beyond strange, it was kind of weird. Apparently, just before Daddy died, he leaned over, rested his head on a chair beside his bed. Great story. You see, until you and I draw near enough to lay our heads on the chest of Jesus and hear the heartbeat of God's love for us, only then will we discover the love and the passion that Jesus has for each one of us. And only then will we be able to let go of plan B and lay a hold of plan A. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for your love, your great love for us. Help us to treasure it, to embrace it, to really make it the centerpiece of our lives, of our hearts, so that we can continue to lay a hold of plan A, the planner of plan A, and let go of those plan B desires, passions. So, Lord, we know that we can't do this on our own, that we are totally and completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work this in us. And so we thank you that you give us your grace and your love, your forgiveness, as we continue on in this journey. But let each one of us find the time to really hear the heartbeat of God's love for each one of us so that we might define ourselves as the one in whom Jesus loved. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, let us continue on with our worship um, as we recite our affirmation of faith. It's there in your bulletin in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. Please read along with me. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who be in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Please stand as you may, as you can, and let us sing Carol 184. Before we get started, Well, thank you. Um, the offering plate is in the back. If you uh, can uh, give, that's the way we're doing it now. Uh, let us remain standing for the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love, the great love of God the Father and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit go with you now and forever. Amen. Have a great day.